Let's say, Sabi, you have a invoice sent to Tyner. Okay, Tyner is supposed to pay you ten thousand USDC in a month, but you saw this amazing thing you have to do in your life, and you want to get access to that money right now. So what do we do? You will mint your invoice as an NFT. Well, on request network, whoever owns that invoice and that NFT will have ownership of any payments to that invoice. So then you come to us. We integrate with them, of course, in the Crest Network website. You can do factoring, so that means you treat your NFT to us, and we fund you eighty percent of the money immediately. So in one smart contract transaction, you transfer an NFT to Huma, and we transfer you eight thousand USDC. Of course, minus some fees, so we transfer that to you. Then thirty days later, Tyner pays this ten thousand, you know, for this invoice. So. Which request network? Request network. Look at. Oh, Huma owns this NFT. Boom! The money is sent to our wallet. So we got the money. Then we say, Oh, this is Sabi's as、uh, invoice.、Um, uh, Now got paid. We already funded him eight thousand. Then remainder two thousand. Let's send over to him. Boom! The transaction is over. Hello, everyone. Today we have Richard from Huma Protocol on the show. Huma is an open source protocol for building decentralized risk and lending solutions backed by income and receivables. In today's world, when we borrow money from a bank, they look at a bunch of things, including your assets, future cash flow, and your job, for example. With Lending Web three, we're currently missing these types of items. In this podcast, we talk about loans in Web three, specifically using receivables as collaterals. For example, future income. We talk about the downside and upsides of DeFi, hackathons, what needs to happen to onboard your average person, how traditional lending works versus how Web three lending can work, security around it, and much more. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Well, Richard, welcome to the show, man. Well, thank you, Sabi and、uh, Tyner. Thank you for having me here. It's a great honor to be here. Amazing. Let's start with your background. Like, what were you doing before you got into Web three? Okay. Yeah.、Uh, of course. First, I'm Richard Liu, a co-founder of Human Finance. It's an income-backed De-、uh, DeFi protocol. So before I got into you know DeFi or crypto, I was、uh, uh, I would call myself a Web two veteran, and I was in Google for a very long time, and so. Uh, I was managing bunch of zero to one initiatives: Google Fi, Google Trust Stores, Google Commerce Search, Google Offers. Some of them become very successful, such as Google Fi, and some of them didn't. That, but it was all fun, right? Really, the successes make you feel proud, but it's the failures that make you much stronger. So after Google, you know, I was doing all this type of zero to one product in Google, and I was. Wondering, okay, should I do something outside Google? Because in Google, if you're successful, you don't know whether it's because of you or it's because of Google. So then I started my first company, Nip.ai, in 2016. We use machine learning to match people with the right jobs, and the company was later on acquired by Facebook in 2019. So you know, happy to go through that journey end to end.、It、was pretty cool. Learned a lot in that process. And then you know, after I joined Facebook, the course 
as you can imagine, you know, some period I have to stay there. Once I finish all the transition, I really wanted to get back to the startup world again. And I did not want to, you know, do a startup immediately, but ends up I said, I have never been to a middle stage company because I knew I would do another startup again. And then, but I want to have that large company, middle stage and small company experience. Next company, when I become bigger, I have been there, been to the middle stage company. So I was very intentional to pick up a, more like a company around $1 billion valuation and be the head of engineering there. So I joined a company called Earning. And it's a FinTech, Series C, FinTech, A6Z company. And basically, it's a pioneer in the earned which access domain, which allows people to borrow against their future paycheck. And one thing really, really stand out for that company is that in their business model, they ask you voluntarily tip them. They don't force you to charge a high interest rate like many of the predatory lenders do. So the users really, really love it. From that process, I was so fascinated that so many people, you know, so many people are so, so much appreciate the service like earning offers. I just learned that so many people in the world and including U.S., they're just so underserved by the traditional bank. Now, having equal access to financial opportunities, to me, is a fundamental right for humanity. It's just totally unfair for many folks. So that's getting me really excited. That's when, I, when I'm ready to do my next company, I really set as a mission, trying to you know, build a fair finance for, for everybody in the world. And when we started with human finance, we decided to pick up DeFi track. Later on, we'll talk about it, how we get into here. We nearly set the goal to empower DeFi for the 99%. Serve the answer. Very cool. I actually, sorry, going back a little bit, this is a question I've always had, so I'm, I'm really curious about this. Yeah. You said, you said when you got acquired to Facebook, uh, you had to be there for a bit. Just for you know an an entrepreneur, how does that work? And you know, like, is it like, is it like you have to be there for a couple of years? Like, is it like a, a vesting options where you have to be there for like four years? Like, when you get acquired, yeah, uh, how does the process work? Do you get the money upfront? Do you is it like you get in batches? Like, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, there are all kinds of settings. All kinds of settings. You definitely get some upfront. You also have four years of vesting. And yep. sure, from pure financial optimization perspective, I should stay there for entire four years. But yep. for me, honestly, what to do? Money is money is all right. Yeah, it's valuable, but it's not the most important thing that I'm chasing for. I chase for experience. I chase for what I really like to do. That's very cool. Um, okay, so then you decided to jump into Web three. Uh, yeah. What was what was that experience like? The experience has been so far very, very cool so far because we joined, I literally committed to, fully committed to Web3 was when the market was going down. I was really, really happy because before that, I felt there were so much bubble, just so much noise and destruction, and it's not really a good environment for the builders. And I think with that, you know, sit down, everybody's calm down, now it's perfect timing for builder. I actually... I would say from last May until last December, probably is the best time I enjoyed in my career. I was just cool down, just building stuff. Very, very cool. But before I, you know, so far I, I really enjoyed the experience. And what, you know, from outside, from Web 2, move to Web 3, 
And, you know, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, I found that there was so much noise. The people were chasing for profit. And I think uh, that's what, on one side. The other side, a lot of amazing technologies, just amazing technology, blockchain, ZK, now accounts abstraction, all those things are very, very cool. I'm just fascinated by it. So with ETH Denver coming up, you won the hackathon last year for Huma. So what was that experience like? Any tips for people that are there that are entering this year? So I'm going to cut you off for a second here. If you can explain for people, like, what is a hackathon, first of all, like, and, you know, just simplify it, and then we can kind of dig down into that. I see. A hackathon is basically a bunch of builders, engineers, product managers, designers, you all business people. You come together, and the user give you a period of time. You come up with an idea, and then just decide to build it. Then at the end, you're going to have a demo. And then a bunch of other teams will be demo. There will be judges and pick up, you know, there was some criteria so you have to follow. Then they pick up the best ones. And then they give you awards. And like us, we won like $10,000 before we started the company. So that was <laughs> cool. And then... And, and, so, us, and, so, and sorry, the judges, what do they... What criteria do they use to judge, I guess? So often I judge many different hackathons were organized in different ways. They may put different weights, but I would imagine a lot of times people put a heavy emphasis on creativity. How creative, how interesting this idea it is. What kind of potential does it describe when it's built out? Second one, whether you have a full solution. Because some of this is just, you see, you, you're not well built out. The build quality matters as well, but it's not as important as the creativity. The third one, your presentation matters. You pitch your, your future, your idea, how creative it is. Then your technical solution, then your presentation, founder, you know, how strong is your presentation matters as well. And again, different hackathons may have different way of organizing it. Amazing. So what was it like for you, like uh, last year? So right? last year, yeah. Honestly, you know, before I got there, I was just, I started, you know, I, I, I cannot say how much. I really want to shout out to ETH Denver. I really want to shout out. Amazing experience. Before I went there, I spent a few months look at Web3, crypto. I was, there was only one word to describe myself. Overwhelmed. I was totally no. overwhelmed. I, because there's so many things moving, you know, you have so many chains and you have different network. Then metaverse was emerging, NFT was booming. Then you have a bunch of DeFi things. Then also on the other side, I said a lot of things I believe should be there, but it's not there. So it's just, and also then the entire decentralized design was a totally different paradigm. So my mind was, okay, I embrace it. We did not talk about why I decided to believe in Web3. Maybe what, you know, when, when later we can come back, I see what convinced me to look into it. I feel I was sitting on the chair, but the legs were hanging in the air. It was totally ungrounded. I was really overwhelmed. So we went to Denver. We did not have any anticipation. We were there, just go to, go there, just learn. So we did not, we just went down to talk to tons of people, listen to a lot of talks. I was purely back to college days. was, you know, clean up my mind. I'm here just ner, ner, ner. And you know what? I think that whenever, you know, Web 2 to Web 3 is a paradigm shift. And let's talk about that. What, why, what, why is it a paradigm shift? What is, what, as you said right now, like, you know, we, you know, that you made a decision to get into Web 3. Like, why, why did you make that decision? 
I think you know what what happens. You know, even back in 2017, I had an opportunity to steer my previous company to the crypto route, literally, because we have a lot of users, and with the crypto's community ownership. And for the consumer product, if you can give tokens to people, that make your growth and user acquisition much easier. And we had opportunity. I did not do it. And so here's the reason why. Number one, I see there were so many noises. And it's just those people who cannot get funding from normal notes, they go with this not cutting corners. Second part is I was thinking about, you know, proof of work consumes so much energy. It's just I cannot imagine. For consumer app to write it on this platform, it will be a criminal for humanity. If we think about all the, you know, all the social apps, uh, everything is burning so much energy. I feel it's just not scalable, and it won't be won't be there in the future. Turned out, I was wrong. I mixed the fundamental value of a disruptive technology blockchain and its immaturity. Because at that time, it was not very mature. There are a lot of things to be built out. For example, after the merge last year, proof of stake is live. My entire concern about energy consumption just goes away. So I was, I, that was a shocking perspective from me. Oh, geez, I just overemphasized on limitation on something. But that limitation was not intrinsic. That limitation is just... A, it's the face. Any new thing coming out, early face, there will be problems. There will be flaws. Now, even today, I'm all in Web3. But you look at Web3, there are still a lot of things, uncertainties. The regulations, rock pools, the hacks, all those things. Some people, if you focus on the downside, man, you won't be new yet. But what I really say, you know, for blockchain, that technology itself, especially from financial application, Instant settlement is so powerful. No matter where you are, an initial transaction, in 15 seconds, it will settle with you. That's just so magic. That experience is so magic. When you look at that one, you know it can unlock a lot of business opportunities so from finance to supply chain to e-commerce. All those things will be totally redefine the product. That's number one. Number two, what I really feel is the community ownership. So if you see the most unfair thing happening in humanity was Web2's value capture. Yes. That's what, because why? The companies and the community build the success together. So Google started, I, but I work in Google for a long time. I appreciate it as a fantastic experience, but the users working together with Google build my wild success. But you know what? Who captures the value? It's mm. Google, the funders, the investors, and the employees. But the community did get nothing, get nothing. It's totally unfair. That's why you see last 20 years, the inequality in the world just getting into very crazy because the technology enable you, these companies, success, Web2 successors, yeah. successful companies occupy the entire world's market. But the, the value is fully captured by by the, by the company. It's totally mm -hmm. unfair. So in Web3, most companies now reserve 50% of the tokens to the community. That's just a massive paradigm shift. So because indeed the company require earlier community engagement together to build it, 
And I was just so fascinated by that concept of a community building. And then imagine you have one product building Web2, one product building Web3. If their quantity is somewhat close, I believe over time they will be almost the same. Then one company capture water value, another company give 50% to the early builder, early contributions. You know, community will choose. I'm sure the Web3 route will be the way to go. So that's why I really see a lot of potential because of the not only about the fundamental technology enable a lot of disruptive business modes. The other one is just the value capture and the distribution become a lot more fair. And so that's why yeah. I nearly feel Web3 is a way to go and I commit myself to it. Makes sense. With so many unfortunate things that have happened in the DeFi space, for example, Terra Luna, Celsius, FTX, and like rug pulls and hacks, yep. where have some of these companies like gone wrong? The first of all, I would say just the, um, just the human greediness is just always there, just reality. So if you don't get the greediness in check, something's go wrong. If I give you all the flexibility and you can do things under the shade, if nobody was monitoring me when I was a kid, I probably playing game all the time. It's just reality is like that. So I think that's really one of the things. So personally, I think certain domains, some regulation will be helpful and I welcome it. That's number one. I think it's coming. The second one is that I like the uh, on some of the DeFi protocols get hacked. Building DeFi actuaries and DeFi and bridges, I consider very, very hard. So you think about this in Web2, I build my thing. The hackers are always in the, da uh, in the dark, but I'm kind of in the dark as well. I'm behind a firewall, mm. right? So the hackers, you know, I have done all kinds of those type of things. The, the hackers were hacking us and we knew it. And we can defend, you know, because we can do a lot of things. Because not everything is in the wide open. But for the DeFi bridge, your contract is wide open. The hackers can study, spend months to study, find a tiny hole. They can also spend some small transactions to test it before they pull the trigger to do big things. So building it is pretty hard. And I do think the industry is getting better and better. And even when, um, so I expect more and more tools for myself. I want to call out, I really appreciate one person. And CNR Networks, Junda, Junda Ni, their C, uh, Junda Niu, their CTO. So when I started building it, I said, man, this can be hard, right? Because it will uh, attack. He just one simple sentence said, the strong teams, you know, they actually don't worry too much about smart contract. They will be able to cover it. The problem is more in the operational side. People might attack from the perf peripheral systems. That gave me a lot of confidence. Indeed, today I feel with all the tools available, I feel more confident about about smart contract. But I feel I need to be more challenged about the all the surrounding, like your Web two components for bridges or for DeFi. You have Oracle. The Oracles get manipulated by many other people. You see a lot of attacks happening those ways. But gradually, I can I, I have confidence more technology will come out first become stronger. The rock pool is definitely something that we should not tolerate. So you think the biggest he headwinds right now are like human greediness and rock pool and stuff like that, or is there anything, or is it also technology is also like a like we're not there? Technology yet. itself has ways to go okay. as well. 
Right. How do you make your system more secure? That's more technology said. So I guess on the flip side, what opportunities are you seeing with DeFi right now that you haven't already mentioned? Yeah, DeFi, I think, I personally think DeFi and I got compound away and they have done an amazing job and really great experience, fantastic innovation. However, it's very limited. It's extremely limited. It's only built for the spectators, right? Then basically they only support one one use case, the trader use case. I really think that way bigger opportunity for us to support much broader use case. So you think about the day-to-day lending, you know, for mortgage, for car, for everything, when you try to do it, they look at your income, you look at your credit, then look at your assets. Those three elements together, they decide whether you give your lending. And all the other things were missing. Your income is missing, your, your credit information is missing. So that's why today's DeFi can only support what I call 1% of the use case. And we need to build the next generation infrastructure so that we can understand all the incomes, all the credit, and your assets, and providing an open architecture so that you can support all kinds of use cases. That's what we build human finance for. Let's talk about like what is, how does it work in traditional world first? Sorry, like, so like, what is it, what, you know, what is over collateralization? What is under collateralization? What's like, what, what's, what's it is, what is a, how do you underwrite in the financial world? And, and then we can kind of get into like, how are we changing it now? Yeah. So in the, in the normal finance world, they look at your income. For consumer, you look at your paycheck. For businesses, look at your future cash flow, right? Your past cash flow and future. So that's, that's the most important signal. Second one, your credit information, right? In US, you have credit score in different parts of the world that different signals there. Then they look at your assets. For example, when you buy a house, you buy a car, your down payment, that's basically the portion of money you put in. All those combined together is the underwriting based on the decision-making criteria. And today, a lot of those signals were missing in DeFi. So okay. that's why DeFi can only support very, very limited use cases. And where I see the opportunities in DeFi is how can you get all those type of signals in. You can build a platform so that you can support all the use cases from yep. mortgages to car loans to credit card to, let's say, a SaaS company lending, e-commerce lending, what you know, a lot of those type of things, you yeah. will have way more business opportunities. Because today you can only get a loan on DeFi basically based on how collateral as how much money you have in your wallet, correct? That's right. Today yeah. is in that way. Yeah. One example, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, just talking about Web2 World, not even Web3. I remember, yeah. um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but there was a startup working on where they were giving influencers loans in the Web2 world because, yeah. you know, as an influencer, you build this influence. You have this, you know, and, and, and in a traditional, when you yep. take loans traditionally, you don't take that into account, right? Like you said, in traditional loans, yep. you take into how much your future, in, uh, sorry, how much your future income is or, you know, what, what, what kind of money you have in the bank and all that stuff. But how do you, but how do you not in today's world when influence is you know can lead to money right how do yep. you not take that into account and that's a great way of saying you know that's what they were pushing boundaries in the web two world and now comparing it to web three world where like we can't even do basic level stuff apart like you know yep. other than just what's in your wallet well I think we will be loved we will later when we talk about our product we are well set up to support that in web three let's talk about it what is Huma and what's the elevator pitch and what's, what's the vision here? 
Yeah, I think we basically, the humor we see is an income-backed DeFi protocol. What this one is, we really try to look at your future income and model it and provide an infrastructure so that different pools can launch it and look factoring your your future income and your credit information with those things to allow more and more people to borrow and for all kinds of use cases. So in this case, I guess like when people are borrowing, um, what kind of uh, collateral are you guys looking at? Uh, so I think today there is one thing we consider very powerful is called something we call receivables. So receivables for consumer could be your future in paycheck. It's your receivable. You expect to get it. For businesses, that's very, very clear. Every company has accounts receivable. Right. That's basically the money people bought your service, your product, they're going to pay you. But usually the payment is not immediately. They will appear as invoices. The invoices will have terms, 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, right? All those type of things. A lot of businesses want to get access to that money right now. And we believe, you know, if we can tokenize your receivable, that means you transfer your receivable to, to the protocol and we give you money immediately, that's a much better collateral than today's collateral. Today's collateral, you have to move your the assets you already have. So you cannot use it, you lock it, you waste it. And here, receivable. I lock your future income. Anyway, it's not in your bank, you cannot use it, but I use it because it has the same effect. The reason you want to have receivable uh, collateral is make sure the partner is able to pay back but why do you use today's asset? Why cannot use the future's assets, which is the same thing? Then that's really, that will be disruptive. That will be very powerful. So this is where we launched our first use case. Our first uh, partner is Request Network. They're on-chain payment processor. They do a lot of invoice, Web3 invoice processing. So we allow people to factor in their Web3 invoices. So that they can get paid immediately. Let's say, Sabi, you have a invoice sent to Tyner. Okay, Tyner is supposed to pay you ten thousand USDC in a month, but you saw this amazing thing you have to do in your life, and you want to get access to that money right now. So what yeah. do we do? You will mint your invoice as an NFT. Okay. Well, on request network. Whoever owns that invoice and that NFT will have ownership of any payments to that uh, invoice. Interesting. So then you come to us. We integrate with them, of course, in the request network website. You can do factoring. So that means you trade your NFT to us, and we fund you 80% of the money immediately. So in one smart contract transaction, you transfer an NFT to Huma, and we transfer you 8,000 uh, um, uh, USDC, of course, minor some fees, maybe 70, 78, 7700 USDC. So we transfer that to you. Then 30 days later, Tyner pays this 10,000, you know, for this invoice. So we reach request network, request network, look at, oh, Human owns this NFT. Boom, the money is sent to our wallet. So we got the money, then we see, oh, this is Sabi's, uh, um, as an invoice, now got paid. We already funded him 8,000, then we made 20, uh, 2,000, let's send over to him. 
right. done. The transaction is over. So in that process, you were able to get access money immediately. And then in our case, we were able to, we know Tyner is a high quality payer. And right. because he, you know, he's a big doll, highly trusted, the payment will happen. So that's why we are willing to do that, provide that uh, underwriting, support that borrowing transaction. And basically, you leverage a future asset, enable a financial activity, which benefits every party. And, and it played a very important role in this process. Very cool. Is it is it only short-term loans? Because my assumption is, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, what if I quit the job, example, in a month, right? So uh, like, are you looking at like how long have I worked there for? What's my you know a monthly paycheck, for example? And like, sure. so how do you, yeah, how do you think about that, I guess? Like, sure, we, we look at walking the signals. We mainly we look at the payer, how stable the payer is. Yes. We also look at the payee and, you know, what's the wallet history, how many transactions you have, and then what's the relationship between the two of you. If this is the first pay, we probably kind of will put more doubt. So initially, you can imagine we're going to start with the more conservative thing. Right. So that we have a higher chance to get in. But I want to call that it's one fundamental different concept. Is uh, is putting it's a risk on protocol. So it's not a guaranteed zero loss. There will be risk losses, and but you want to minimize the risk losses because only when you do that, you enable yourself to access much broader opportunities, support broader use cases. Very so cool. is. Request network, are they responsible for like verifying if like an invoice is legitimate? Oh yeah, it's there. It's the invoice created on their platform. Yes. Okay. Very cool. And and are you do you also do off chain receivables or just on chain? So our so what we build our platform in such a way that we want to enable both web two and web three income sources, all kinds of secrets, we want to enable both of them. And even for lending the banners, could be Web2 businesses, Web2 consumers as well. We do want to enable that. But we build the platform in such a, the protocol in such a way, it's generic. You can create all kinds of tool, pools for it. But our use case, what we call the Kinner app we launched, is on-chain receivable factory. Got so, it. Because that's the most easiest way for us to demonstrate the power of the protocol. And right now, for go-to-market, we're largely driving adoption for on-chain you know, receivables. I, I wonder if you can explain this for me. Because um, in the in the traditional world, let's say when I get, depending on the kind of loan, but if I get a student loan that's backed that's by government, so I can't even default on it, right? But if I yep. get like a, a car loan, for example, for example, right? And uh, in that way, if I don't pay my payments, or even if I get a parking ticket, if I don't pay a payment, yep. right? I, I basically, uh, they send it to somebody who, who like basically is in business Collection. for collections, right? So they're, they're in business for like, you know, getting it out of me or my credit score gets hurt, right? Yep. And if you were to bring, if you were to take off-chain receivables, how would you, like, you know, how would you, like, if, if I don't pay, how would you, like, would you be working with the collections and how would that work basically? So Level. I think over there, you know, it's a very, very good point. This yeah. is what we call accountability. How do you drive accountability? Because today in Web3, you only have one wallet. So it's very hard to drive that accountability. So I don't think from get-go, you're going to open like this. You're open to everybody because you're going to, that's more like a committing suicide. 
I think what you see is that that's why we position ourselves as more of a DeFi infrastructure company. So you think about what the future would look like, what kind of information you want to need. We said abstractly, you need income, you need you know credit, you need asset information. But in Web3, you also want to do a privacy-preserving way. Unlike Web2, yeah. get all the stuff of information. So that means you have all kinds of new technology coming. You have account abstraction, you have ZK, all those things. So that with all the technology building out in the future, you are able to get all those information, but also preserve people's privacy. So that means I would know your, I, you know, at the end, I would know if you want to get borrowed to certain you know, assets that I cannot simply rely on the, your, your, the receivables in your wallet to give you that you know, access to that capital. You probably w- we would have to find a way, but in a privacy-friendly way, to act, get your identity. Then at the end, some point of time, there will be, I don't think it will be credit score, but there will be some kind of credit, you know, all kinds of passports that are heading into certain directions. There will be some kind of evaluation about the quality of your passport. Then if you don't pay, your passport will get impacted and your Web3 presence will be getting impacted. The exact format uh, for driving accountability, I think that's open for the entrepreneurs or for the developers to figure it out in the next two, three years, I believe those will come. So that accountability is essential to mechanism to implement the accountability is essential to support the use case you talk about. So digging more into humor of it, so you have what's called the decentralized signal portfolio. Can you explain what that is and how that works? Yeah. So what happens is, uh, as I mentioned today, DeFi is soon. The reason today's DeFi cannot support many, many use cases because it does not understand a lot of signals that are essential for you to do those type of or approve those type of lendings. So we also don't want to build like Web2 companies trying to either steal all kinds of information from your cell phone, no tons of information, scaring amount of information about the users. And we want to get all those information in a very transparent way. So, but the information is special lending. In US, you have some signals. In Singapore, you have different signals. Mexico, Brazil, they all have different things. So then that's why we thought it would be really cool to build an open platform for different developers to come in. I have good understanding about that source of uh, information, no matter it's income or, uh, or it's your liability or it's credit. So those type of information come in, and then we, we build an open platform so that all the developers can contribute to, to our platform, build all kinds of adapters. We call Sigla Adapt. Now, at the end, all those signals will be available for, for us and for other pro- DeFi protocols or even potentially social protocols to use it. How are you going to incentivize builders to come build on top of Huma? Oh yeah, I think that's uh, that's easy, right? In Web three, anything you build, you will have rewards reserved for the community, and so is human. So it's uh, initially some of the building we probably give some bounties so that you just uh, you know you get some early rewards. But then meanwhile, you build, you maintain this one, we know it, and that will be tracked. And when that adapter is being used by different pools, there will be some incomes coming to the 
come to the uh, or the protocol, then the protocol at the end it will be managed by the DAO. DAO will decide to distributing these things to all the contributors. If your your uh, your adapter is being used very widely, then you will get more rewards, ongoing rewards. So it's not one time. One time we will give bounties for some of those things, and then but ongoing there will be additional rewards as well. And I definitely welcome all the developers coming. It's not only Web3 developers. A lot of those things could be Web2 developers. So Web2 developers can participate. Web3 developers, for example, if you're a DGM, if you know all the you know, staking income or, or mining income requires some special access, special knowledge, and you build those adapters, and then we can, we can take that income into consideration for people to borrow money, and you not only you are leveraging your knowledge to build something amazing for the ecosystem. You enable a lot of other people be able to access capital. Otherwise, they want to be able, able to access. So definitely, you know, anybody, if you're a developer in Web2, Web3, if you have access to all kinds of specific knowledge or you just, you don't, but you want to learn, that's welcome as well. So definitely welcome all the developers and check us out. Okay. How does the, uh, how do you, uh, mitigate risk. Um, how does the uh, so when I read the white paper, it said you have evaluation agent, uh, the layer of uh, yeah. Huma. Like, how does that work? Yes. So let's let me step back for Huma protocol. We call it multi layers protocol. The first layer is largely the signal, which we talk about the signal portfolio for people to plug in. And then the second layer, what do we call it? Evaluation agent. This is more like a, think about it, underwriting decision making. So lending decision making. So because uh, as I said, we want to power all the use, different use cases. Different use cases may have different criteria. We want to build an open platform so that, you know, Tyler, he wants a certain business. He can have his you know, evaluation agent. And Sabi, you can have your own one, and Richard could have my own one. So we build that system in such a way, different evaluation agents can be plugged in for different use cases. Then that part, you think about that part is more like an oracle, which is a little bit different from today's chaining type of oracle, which is an oracle for data. That is more like a business logical oracle. And can you explain what an oracle is, please, for the audience? Yes. Oracle yeah. is basic. It's uh, you know when you do a smart contract, you need some information that on chain you don't have an efficient way to get it. You just call out to an external entity trying to get that information. For example, the most popular one is Chainlink. They need all kinds of pricing information, real time pricing information. And for on-chain, for me to go to, for my DeFi protocol to figure it out, it's just so hard. So we'll call Oracle, we'll call Chainlink to get that information. So that's more like a data Oracle. Here, similar thing, we want to enable all kinds of lending protocol, uh, lending scenarios, use cases. That means there will be smart contract. There will be nearly fully smart contract. Everything is transparent on-chain. But like decision, whether I should underwrite in, this, you know, lending request, which requires a lot of data consumption, not a decision. And we understand today's, you know, blockchain technology probably is not suitable for those type of complicated computation. Then you have a call out to a you know, business logical article to do make that decision. Once right. that decision is made, call let back to know the smart contract. Smart contract handles all the execution of that decision. So yep. it's all in a transparent trackable way, but the decision-making call out from an external helper. 
let me let me see if I have this right. Okay, uh, I'll try yeah. to like dumb it down for myself, and then let's yep. see if, if how it's correct. So on the basic layer, um, you have a decentralized signal portfolio, which is the DSP, and the idea with that is signals are basically like we talked about it before, which is like you know like what is like who, like my wallet, my my how much money do I have, and you know my future income, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff, right? And then on so what signals are can be used in that in for the particular um particular type of loan. And then on one top of that is evaluation agent, and that could be for different valuations for different type of loans. So one could be for business loan, one could be for personal loan. And the idea again is that, you know, that this, this is what this evaluation agent is um, masked, like, 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 you know, it's very like focused on, right? So it, it yep. takes a look at all those kind of past clients or past data and make sure that does this person pass through that or not? Is that, does yeah, that sound correct? Those two that's things? Right. That's right. Then Perfect. on top of that, you you have your lending pool, which work in a similar way as today's lending pool. The only thing what is very unique about us, our pool is built in a very generic, generic way so that you can configure, you can deploy many, many different pools using the same smart contract, but you can configure in a different way. For example, your pricing model can be very, very different. There are tons of parameters you can decide. For example, the payback, you can could do amortized, you know, every month you pay the same amount, or you do interest only. All those type of models are yeah. by by default is supported by the protocol. Yeah, and so it's, you can simplify well, this. Very good summary. You summarized yeah. very well. One Amazing. thing I want to add is some examples. Like when yep. we talk about in a, a little bit more abstract way about the signal adapters, let me give you some examples. So, yep. so your audience have some NFT. Uh, some of them were in the NFT domain. Then you have your loyalty income. Somebody can write an adapter to model all different creators' loyalty income. Yeah. And then that thing, now that signal will be available for different pools so they can factor that in. The second one you mentioned about the content creator is not only an NFT loyalty, could be podcast, could be blog. And if, you know, let's say Patreon, similar stuff, then you yeah. can write an adapter to get the information about the income, income, past income, and income forecast for that particular path. Then that is another adapter. Basically, you get all those adapters together. Then you can allow people who have whatever their income source to be used in for this lending consideration. Amazing. I want to actually ask a few questions about that. But before that, um, I want to finish that thought of the last layer of like a lending protocol. Uh, I think it's pretty pretty obvious, but I still want to explain this for people. So that layer is basically somebody's got to give the money, and somebody's got to. You know, if somebody's right. taking the money, the money has to come from somewhere. So yep. in the lending protocol layer, anybody, Savvy can go and put, like, example, $20,000 in that protocol. And when the other person takes the money, there's interest generated. I get interest for lending the money. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And there was one thing we want to say. Different pools may have different requirements. Some of the pools, gen uh, the pools will require this uh, uh, KYC, KYB for the, and then, uh, for the investors. So generally, I expect that will be the case. Uh, for the consumer side, right now, we don't enforce it, but it depends on different regulation comes in, whatever whatever it needs to happen. And also in different parts of the world, it will be different. Does everybody have to be doxxed or is it like more like depending on the, uh, on the jurisdiction? Uh, I think that's really, so from our perspective, I think from the investor side, and you have KYC, KYB would be, should be expected. But what the consumer side? Consumer side, sorry, go on. 
the consumer said that way it depends on the pool. Some of the pools probably will require, and but right now I don't initially I don't expect that will be. But it depends on we expect the twenty. 2023, 2024, there will be a lot more regulation come. And from my personal perspective, directionally, I welcome regulation. So we will just uh, to say whatever is right and uh, work with uh, the government and uh, do it in the right way. So what's coming up next for Huma? So right now we build our protocol. The next one is just not yet. Right now we are in public beta testing and we got a lot of users joined our Discord community. Our community name is called Humanity. It's a humus community, humanity. And <laughs> so if oh, you haven't cool. seen it, check it out. And it's pretty cool. A lot of users already got there. They got there, you know, more like OG and NFT. Basically, we have some testing scenarios for you to walk through it. Once you finish it, then you will get an OG NFT. That's pretty cool. I, I love that one. And so right now we're there. So next one, we'll go to ETH Denver. We will be a sponsor in Denver because we last year we started in Denver and we won the hackathon, give us confidence, you know, for us to decide to do it and raise money. Now we are launching it. We're going to go back to ETH Denver to launch it with, together with our partners. And from there, we're going to set up pools for people to run real transactions from there. Yeah. That's so cool. From winners to sponsoring in a year is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. We, we feel good about it. The journey is pretty cool. Yeah. Amazing. Actually, one, sorry, I'm, I'm going to take it back a little bit because I had this one question when you were talking about adapters and, and uh, signals. Um, in general, like even like looking at these different layers, right? Like adapters, uh, sorry, signals and DSP layer and the EA layer. Um, how do you, like, like any, can anybody join and how does that kind of work where like, you know, like how does it, how does the signal get passed? Like is, like, is there like, did you got, do you guys approve it? Is it centralized or decentralized? Like, how does that whole process work? I guess. So I think either will be decentralized. Basically, there will be you will have a DAO. Basically, there will be some developers from the DAO to approve those signal adapters. But of course, right now we haven't set up the DAO yet. Initially, it will be the core team will be controlling which code will be checking. We actually spent quite some time to set that one up so that everybody can submit the code and how do we do the review process? How do we do merge, you know, deployment, all those things. So anybody can contribute, but there will be quality control. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. For the adapter code, it will be open sourced. Yeah. What do you consider like your main target user of this? Is it existing crypto users or are you trying to get people more like institutional players who never really touch crypto to, to get in this way? I guess what's kind of your thinking around that? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Like what I said, Nantar, we think we are building a different infrastructure. We want to enable a lot of lending businesses to run on human protocol. But our Meanwhile, we also have a keener use case. The keener use case is on-chain receivable factoring. That's our keener use case. So our initial user will be purely crypto user. And our partners, all the on-chain payments network, and we'd love to work with you guys. If we, we are, haven't talked to you yet, please pin me. You know, we stand at you know, Twitter or Human Finance, D D DMS on Twitter, and we would love to get in touch. So that's partner on that side, users, any of the DAOs or companies, they pay their users in portion or full in crypto, then we can support those users. Yeah, so initially will be that. Gradually, we're going to enable more and more businesses that could be, you know, from different parts. Initially, from the investor perspective, will be largely, first of all, 
our own money. We'll put our own money, you know, work the talk. Secondly, uh, some of our investors, when we raise the money, we'll pick up the investors. Some of them, they do have this liquidity fund available. So then after that, once we validate with all these entities, they will be open to more public. Exactly. Um, you talked about NFTs like in the in the beginning. Yep. We are an NFT podcast. This is our first DeFi episode, by the way. So we're excited. Thank you for joining us on this and teaching us about DeFi. But we'd love to kind of go a little bit more about um, NFT as a utility that you guys are doing. And if yep. you can speak a little bit more on it and you can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Like in our case, I think uh, uh, from a DeFi perspective, I mentioned earlier, so when you do the receivable factoring, so that receivable will be minted as an NFT. So that NFT, whoever owns that NFT, will, will get the future financial benefit of that receivable. So we did it in that way. Second one is the evaluation agent. We also each evaluation agent is an NFT. So your evaluation agent's performance, all those information will be captured in the NFT and be presented like any other yeah, NFT, where there will be a bunch of metadata to show how effective you are. And then if other people want to pick up your uh, your evaluation to use, they will check it out. So we, we so far we use this tool, but I imagine in the future probably, you know, identity will be a very important piece of us. Many of the identity will be somewhat in NFT format. So I expect that will be in play. So I personally expect the NFT very powerful, right? JPEG side, definitely very, very powerful. A lot of people fascinated about it. The other part to many builders like myself is more on the utility NFT that we're using a lot of scenarios. Um, so actually, it's a, I didn't know this. It's a, I just learned something here. You said, uh, so do people pick the valuation agent when they're picking, uh, when they're getting the loan? No, it's the pool, right? When I start a pool, the pool, each pool probably have a business driver to right. start the setting up. Then you will set up the terms of the pool. Then you will set up the evaluation agent. They will identify the evaluation agent for them to work with. Most likely they will build their own evaluation agent. I expect most of the cases will be, but there are cases that people may use other people, evaluation agent built by others. But but you just said that the the evaluation agent is also an NFT, and you know, depending on how good it is, you can kind of you know track the metadata. I can track that, right? And so when like where does that come in? Use is it more like do you, for kicking kicking people out who are not who are bad evaluation agents? Like is that what you meant by that? Well, like if, yeah, if they're bad, probably nobody is going to use it. Either will yeah. be an NFT there, but nobody use it. Right. So that is you think about this. NFT provides this powerful way kind of standard way for you to share all kinds of relevant information in a way. But that NFT, I don't expect that NFT to be transferable. That way right. not be transferable. You know, basically the first NFT, like the receivable NFT is transferable because you transfer the financial benefit. The other NFT would not be transferable. That's basically you are a developer. You build something that's you, and that will track in as your effectiveness. You know, a lot of, I think Tyler mentioned this before, but a lot of DeFi protocols got hacked last year. Uh, some founders did rug pulls. What have you guys done to make sure Yuma protocol is safe for, for users? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. First of all, we just take it very, very seriously. And, you know, uh, we definitely audit our, we finished our first audit done by 30K. We also talked to Constant 
and Constable is underneath the for our, uh, our next batch of audits. We plan to, every release, we're going to do another audit, and we're actually going to do use different audit firms so that we can get that type of broader coverage. That's number one. Number two is that we feel it's a lot of those things. Audit is a helper. The most important thing is from your internal engineering practice. And we make security as more like a P0 for everybody in the company. So not only from contract writing, but also from day-to-day operations. And even ourselves, if we are in the same office, and if I walk away, go to the bathroom, I did not lock my computer, I will be deemed by my team. People will make tons of shit about Richard did not lock his computer. But because your computer is so that's just a yeah. window of how do you tighten your internal operations. A lot of those things got hacked because of the internal operation was loose. So right. we learned from that from day one since we have tons of fintech operation experience. So, so we apply that experience there. Third one is the coding quality. Figuring up a lot of people writing code, they talk about testing coverage and not too many people can claim. My code is 100% testing coverage. What does that mean? Every statement, every branch, every business logic is validated in a test case. Whenever we make one tiny change, all those tests will rerun again. And your code would not check in, would not be checked in unless all the test passes. So we're 100%. Not too many people can make that, that assertion. Number four, we also feel I know some people in DeFi, they do anonymous development. I don't believe it. You're handling people's money. And that confidence, that trust comes not only from pure technical, also comes who is behind it. So we put our name clear and loud on our website and every information will be transparent. So that's how we consider it from partnership audit, from internal operation, code quality, and also named development. That's how we want to demonstrate accountability and build trust. That's beautiful. Awesome. Uh, uh, The last one, we will have a security bug bounty. No matter how careful you do, you still, you can only get 99.9% right. You still have 0.1 chance that that's where the community come in to help us. That's great. Awesome. Richard, this was great. Let's move into rapid fire questions. We have a few questions. Uh, feel free to pass if you don't uh, want to answer any of those, but uh, yep. whatever the first word or the first uh, sentence that comes to mind. Okay, so first off, what is your favorite PFP collection? CryptoKitty. Nice. nice throwback. Yeah, that's my uh, my Google profile. I use that. <laughs> <laughs> what teams are you the most bullish on? I feel I'm not going to pick up particular team. Generally, I feel very bullish about the ZK path. All the nice. ZKVM platforms, they are doing amazing things. And particular from not only from scalability, I'm also very interested to see how they do enable privacy preserving. What projects do you consider underrated? I would say the path that some of the uh, players in our similar track, but they moved a little bit earlier than us. So like, you know, Maple Finance, Central Fridge, and Goldfinch, and they basically enable real-world use cases. And I think they are doing an amazing job. And because they confidence in crypto, and actually they get penalized more, but I personally are very bullish on this track. I think they will bounce back as well. Very cool. 
Uh, what are your favorite Twitter account or accounts? I would say my number one, he's not very active, but this guy, this dude, every sentence he said, no matter on Twitter or in person to me, I treated him more like a from Bible. I need some very carefully. It's a maple leaf cap. Sorry, what is it? Maple leaf cap. Maple leaf cap. Perfect. Jason Kang. Yeah. He's just amazing. And basically, he has in, uh, he's one of our art investors as well. And he has very unique insights about the world, about the DeFi, about the consumer, about the crypto. He's just amazing and extremely insightful. Amazing. Um, advice to new builders or teams entering Web3. Number one, focus on the potential. There will be noises. There will be frustrations because anything, when you're going up, there will be up and downs. But if you know what you, your conviction, uh, conviction is from, you will get less di distracted or stressed by the up and downs. Number two, just uh, make friends with others because this domain, nobody knows. Nobody knows everything. Each one must only know a tiny bit of it. And oh. if you want yourself to know everything, that's just impossible. Why this domain is moving so fast? Just build a learning network so that you can learn from others. And one thing, especially for newcomers, uh, people coming from ETH Denver, because I struggled a lot last year when we started, because people mentioned this name, that name. I had no clue what it is. So this year, we are actually uh, publishing a few blog posts. Number one, all the sponsors, we will have one sentence summary about every sponsor. So it will be on a blog post. Number two, the most common terms will have one sentence summaries so that you can easily look up. Number three, our tips about how to participate in an effective way in the, in the hackathon. So we're going to publish that. So for new people coming to ETH Denver, and check us, check out our blogs on those things. Hopefully, that will be helpful to you. Love that. And the last one is one prediction for 2023. I think some regulation will happen. Okay. And I think most likely stablecoin. And I expect that there will be some more progress on the DeFi side. Overall, there might be good news, bad news, but overall, I think it will be positive for the industry. That's amazing. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was this was great. We learned a lot. Um, where can people find you and where can people find more about Huma? So I think Huma would be Twitter. Uh, first of all, of course, come to our website, huma.finance, then go there, go to uh, our Discord, Humanity. So that's where we take humanity to the next level. And I'm looking forward to have all of you guys there. In terms of Twitter, and we just got started, so we're just meeting new to Twitter and human at human finance and myself. My my handler is everywhere. is called Wisdent, a wise ant. W i i s d a n t. Thanks so much, Richard. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you, Tyner and Sabin. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Curated, your go-to source from the builders of Web three. This podcast is brought to you by Quantstab, the leaders in Web3 security, securing over $200 billion in digital asset risk from hackers. Some of the past NFT clients include OpenSea, Artblocks, PeopleB20, just to name a few. Head over to Quantstab.com to request a security audit today. We hope you enjoyed our discussions and insights on the latest developments in the rapidly evolving space. And as always, stay curious, stay informed, 
See you next time on Curated. This channel is intended purely for educational purposes and does not constitute financial or tax advice. NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit.